Welcome to the Women in Public Policy Program Seminar Series Podcast at the Harvard Kennedy School. Welcome everyone to the weekly WAC seminar. As you know, the seminar focus is on closing gender gaps across economic opportunity, political participation, health and education. I'm Nicole Carter Quinn, our Associate Director here at the Center. And I want to welcome you all in the room and also let you know that we have a podcast audience that joins us every week as well with over 18,000 downloads, so we're very excited about that. And as part of our ground rules for the seminar, I just ask that um, cell phones be turned off and that questions be on topic and end with a question mark. And with that in mind, (laughs) it is my great pleasure to introduce our presenter today, Francesca Dino from the Business School. She's Professor of Business Administration in the Negotiation Organizations and Market Unit. And her topic today is, why are women underrepresented as leaders? Two ideas from recent psychological research. And Professor Gino has a tremendous amount of accolades, including being named Best uh, Business School Professor 40 Under 40 by Poets and Quants, and many others. But really, she's a thought leader in this space. And her research focuses on judgment and decision making, negotiation, ethics, motivation, productivity, and creativity. And with that, we look forward to your presentation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. There is, by the way, a chair over here, if you don't feel like coming up too close to me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for making it here. It's such a pleasure to have the chance to talk a little bit about the research that I've been doing uh, on gender. Initially, the talk had the second part of two ideas from psychological research, and then as I thought about the talk and what I wanted to talk about, I thought that there were more than two. and that I really wanted to focus on one, but then tell you about uh, an idea that is early stage and get your thoughts on whether you think it has legs, where you would take it, and what are the consequences they should explore with that idea. So I'm gonna focus the first part of the talk on research that uh, has been published. Um, We since expanded it to look at cross-cultural differences. and then we'll move to a different idea, just to mention it and see what kind of thoughts come to mind uh, as you think through it. Now, I wouldn't describe myself as a gender person by any means, but this idea actually came through sitting through a talk that was given by a very famous uh, gender person. And I was sitting with my colleague, Alison Brooks. At the time, we both had small children and we were sort of Uh, sitting uncomfortable and and thinking through uh, what the research meant to us and whether we were sort of agreeing with the arguments that were made. So I'm going to give you a little bit uh, of the background. So the talk was all about gender differences and in particular gender differences at the top. And at this point I think the evidence is unquestioned in the sense that wherever you look the differences do exist. I just have uh, some Uh, recent data on this, but you can look at uh, sciences. Uh, In fact, I would have, um, I think if I were to put up the percentage of full professor also at Harvard Business School, it wouldn't be that different, probably lower than that. And I'm sure that uh, across Harvard, probably we would see similar statistics. But even if you go outside of the university space or the academic space, again, the statistics would suggest that if we look at top-level type of positions or high-power positions in organizations, we tend to see 
many more men than uh, women. Again, I don't think I'm saying anything uh, new over here, but what is interesting in looking at all this data is uh, trying to understand how do we explain such differences. And here is where you can go to economics, you can go to psychology, you can go to management, you can go to all sorts of literatures. And a lot has been written about trying to explain these differences in gender in terms of who's at the top. And what is interesting about this literature is that I think at a very high level, we can look at it and say there are really two buckets of explanations. Or at least this is what my colleagues and I ended up uh, thinking about when we were reading a lot of this literature. The first bucket is really related to what we would call the demand side factors, borrowing uh, language from economics. And what we mean by this is that some of the differences might be really driven by how people perceive women and men differently in the workplace when it comes to all sorts of characteristics that are relevant for them being able to achieve high-level positions. And again, there are all sorts of interesting studies that have shown that that is the case. And in fact, sometimes when women try to adopt behaviors that are more stereotypically behaviors that you would see in men, they get a backlash for uh, that. So that's the first interesting set of explanations. The second one is what we would call the supply side set of factors. And this is more related to women and men when it comes to their own behavior and what they end up doing at work, in work settings, do we see any differences? And again, there are all sorts of differences that have been documented in the literature, again, across disciplines, that point to behavior that when it comes to professional advancement and what's required to get to positions of high power in organizations, they seem to suggest that men show those behavior more than women. So for example, when it comes to dominance, when it comes to confidence, when it comes to competitiveness, uh, even in getting to uh, more aggressive uh, behaviors, men tend to be more likely to show those behaviors, and that might be, again, one possibility and one reason why we see these differences at the top. Now, as we looked at these two sets of explanations, what my colleagues and I ended up thinking is that maybe there is a, another possibility that is clearly related more to the supply side factors that might lead to the differences that we talked about. And the explanation that we decided to focus on uh, has to do with, I'll use the word um, preferences broadly. We see if the economists in the room have an issue with that. But what I mean by this is that when you think about how men and women actually view reaching high-level positions, or I'm going to use the general term professional advancement, they just have different preferences and different thoughts about them. So in a sense, we're going a much easier route to potentially explain some of these differences. Now, I'm going to preview the rest of the talk by saying that Especially if you've been thinking about ways in which in your own life or your own organizations you're trying to 
fight for more equity, you might end up closing your ears in some parts of the talk and ending with something that looks like this. I could have a similar picture of women, it doesn't matter what the gender is, just feeling very angry. In fact, I found myself giving this talk a while back in front of, um, uh, it was about 200 people in Italy, and I was invited as part of a conference to talk about the importance of, they're called pink shares in Italy, so it's ways in which you can reach equality in organizations, and people were ready to throw tomatoes at me yeah. at the end of the talk, they were really angry, and I think it's because they weren't really listening to what I was uh, suggesting in the talk. So if you feel this way, I might try to uh, convince you that you're not reading the data um, in the right way, or the data that we have in the studies that we've conducted. Um, I want to walk you through our reasoning and hypothesis. And I, again, I think that they're actually pretty simple in terms of uh, where we were coming from in uh, coming up with our arguments. So the idea here is that if we look at what drives our behavior, both in life and at work, a big factor is the type of goals that we set out to accomplish for ourselves. And one of our big uh, thoughts, big idea, if you will, is that there might be a difference in the way women and men think about their life goals more generally. Now, there is uh, quite a bit of evidence uh, coming again from both the psych as well as management suggesting that uh, if we think about goals more generally, we tend to try to strive for things that makes us happy, that give us joy in life and happiness, and also how we imagine the future to be. Now, an important part here is that it's very possible, and something that our research is silent on, that these goals are partly influenced by our environment and all sorts of social cultural factors. I think that this complicates the stories in terms of asking the questions about where do those preferences come from? Why is that people set the goals that they set for themselves? I have no answers. I think there are all sorts of interesting questions there. No real answers that I can give you based on empirical uh, data, but happy to have that discussion. But if we look at more historically, what has been written on the type of not only goals that men and women have, but also their roles in society, there have been dramatic changes. And again, I'm not saying anything uh, new here. And if anything, the changes have been more dramatic for women than for men. Uh, it used to be the case that women were not uh, so present in the workforce. And so because of this history and background, at least this is our reasoning, women find themselves expanding the set of things that they care about and the type of goals that they have in their life. So if before they were really focused on things like having a family, uh, children, having good relationship, now there is the addition of also having a career. So our first hypothesis is that when we just look at the type of life goals that people have, women are gonna have more life goals than men. And the second hypothesis that we made is that if we were to actually sort of think through what these goals are, you would see, given the type of uh, roles that women have in society, you would see a 
smaller percentage of them being associated with power for women as compared to men. Now, this is a, um, an important part um, of our reasoning. It's, it stands and relies on, again, a lot of literature that suggests that when you look at men and women's motivation, there is in fact evidence that women are more motivated by um, relationships and the fact that they wanna build and nurture strong and close relationship and men instead are more oriented towards achievement and, and power. So part of our reasoning behind this hypothesis uh, is consistent with that literature. We also pushed our thinking a little bit further and tried to think about if this is the case, what does that mean for women and men's desire to reach high-level positions? And again, I think that uh, the next hypothesis might not surprise you in the sense that if it's in fact true that women tend to have more life goals than men, and if it's true that percentage-wise <laughs> fewer of those goals are related to power, that what we might see is that this has implications for how we view professional advancement. And in particular, when it comes to thinking about the future, what we expected to see is that both men and women see the positive things that come from having high-level positions. So it could be happiness, it could be money, it could be influence. But when it comes to the negative consequences, we might see a difference. Where we expected women to see more negative implications as compared to men, the reason being that since they have more goals that they care about, they're gonna see conflicts and the need to do trade-offs. This was in part motivated by having conversations with women um, across quite a wide range of contexts, and the discussions went like the following ones, where uh, an interesting case was actually one where uh, a senior executive was a woman and she had uh, really, really, really big hopes for a couple of candidates in the organization she thought were amazing, both a female, and she had independent conversations with them saying, uh, look, if this is something that you're gonna work on, you can develop and become, uh, be promoted to a high level position. And in both cases, the reactions were more like, I don't wanna be you. And it was kind of striking for the senior executive to hear this because it was underlying an issue that they had a fear that getting to that type of level they could if they wanted to, but they didn't want to because they saw uh, their life getting more complicating, having to make <coughs> difficult trade-offs and feeling conflicts between uh, other goals within uh, their life. <coughs> you can see why some people get very upset when we uh, make these predictions, but the predictions was that they would see the position as equally attainable, they can get there if they want to, but less desirable as compared to men. So let me walk you through some of the data that we collected, and our studies are actually pretty simple. Uh, in fact, sometimes we, uh, when I'm in front of audiences like this one, I would ask you to do the same study and see if we see the effect in the room. So in our first study, uh, we conducted a study on a sample of uh, working adults, uh, 781 of them, and basically we asked them to list their 
core life goals. And we define the goals for them, so things that occupy your thoughts on a routine basis that you deeply care about or that motivate your behavior and decisions. And we gave them uh, just a little bit of time, so we put them under time pressure, and we told them that the way, the order in which they were listing their life goal was not important, just to list what came to mind, up to 25 goals. And most people actually didn't reach uh, that many goals within the time allotted that they had. And then we asked them, after they did that, on the next page, they was presented again with the goals that they listed, and they were asked to put them in different categories. So basically they did the work that we were supposed to do otherwise. And these were the categories. And these categories come from existing work, so we didn't recreate them. And we were particularly interested in the power one, uh, where power is defined generally in the literature as um, basically control that people have over others' behaviors or resources. And we were very interested in that dimension. <coughs> and then as you can see, there are all sorts of other interesting goals, affiliation being one of them, personal growth, etc. Now, to make sure that the categories actually made sense, we then have arrays, looking over what the goals uh, were, and we see as you expected that people actually categorize their own goals uh, accurately. May I just ask one question? Sure. Were these goals like future goals, uh, so that if you thought you've already attained it, would you include it on your list? Interesting. So uh, we've done uh, other studies in addition to the one that we um, uh, are looking at here, and sometimes we were more specific about that. When we say life goals, it usually uh, people include both. Um, and so both the things that they care about and attain, and things that um, they care about and have not attained yet. Which I think is important because, as you can imagine, for some of the things that people list is, um, for example, having a spouse or a partner or having children, and some of the people are already married and actually have children. Um, here, very quickly, are the results. Um, and I apologize, I left this in Italian. <laughs> so the blue is men and the red is women. Um, what you can see very uh, easily is that the difference is not uh, major in the sense that it's not that we are talking 20 versus two, but we do see the expected difference in terms of when it comes to listing goals, uh, men tend to list fewer life goals as compared to uh, women. And can what I it- Sure. Question on that? So I, I'm trying to figure out how to interpret that difference given that you gave people a, a relatively stiff time constraint, like two minutes mm -hmm. is not a lot of time. So if there, if there were any differences by gender and how quickly you can transfer your ideas from your mind to yeah. the piece of paper, to the computer, however you did it, would women have more goals just because they're I mean, I think there's literature supporting that women do better than men on verbal tasks. Mm -hmm. So this is a verbal mm -hmm. task that this is not because they have more goals, but just because in a yeah. constrained two-minute environment. Yeah, so we released uh, the time constraint in one of our studies and we still see the difference there. 
And uh, interestingly enough, our second study, I think, addresses that in a more controlled way, where in addition to listing goals, you're also listing your favorite foods, and we don't see any differences there. Uh, so it was a good, but, but it definitely, it's a very good point, because you can think about the fact that people take more time, or maybe the goals are there, but they're less salient. And so when we're trying to put them under time pressure, what we were trying to get is, in fact, uh, what's the salient yeah. in your head rather than you thinking about what's socially desirable to say. We also have evidence um, that when you actually give people stated goals that we got from prior studies and you are asking them which one they reject in terms of they don't want to list them from the categories as part of their life goals, you still see a difference between men and women. So it's a different way of getting at this exact question. really society's framed more of a just work on your career, like the fatherhood, everything is always second base, whereas for women it's like you can do everything, everything's available to you, or, and then we cut more overwhelmed with that idea, and that's why we have, we feel like we should do everything. It's a very interesting question. Uh, we do do everything. <laughs> so, uh, I, we can't answer that based on data, and I, don't know what the answer might be. I think it's a really interesting question. So I think that it, it would be silly of me to say this preference exists just out of thin air. They must be influenced by the societies we live in. And uh, again, part of the reason of trying to do this cross-culturally is to see whether, in fact, there is an influence uh, there. And the preliminary evidence, I'm still sifting through the data, preliminary evidence is that culture does matter. So for example, individualistic versus collectivistic does matter, but it seems to moderate the effect rather than completely eliminating them, <coughs> which is interesting. So if I were to give an answer, I, I think that is something about the fact that there are uh, constructed based on the societies that we live in, they're certainly influenced by that. Um, but maybe some preferences also exist because people's experiences are different. Um, so again, I um, I can give you my, my own personal experience and it's not nice to think about an N equal to one when it comes to research, but in, in thinking through this, I think I mean a marriage where my husband is as interested in kids as I am, or uh, where he's as wonderful as I could be <laughs> with my children, <laughs> as it is with my children. But when I think through how he was making a decisions were thinking about a job that was more demanding, is somehow in the reasoning the family aspects didn't come through, and it would be on my mind at first. Um, so even in a situation like that, I feel like there might be something different in the way we think about it. <coughs> Why that is, is partly socially constructed and part of it might be driven by something else. It's a very interesting question. I'd like to follow up on that. Do you think if, if you looked back in history, if you looked back when mm. women only really had one sole responsibility as to be a, a caretaker or provider for their family, do you think that the data would be different in terms of number of goals? Mm. So, Possibly, in the sense that I think that, uh, and it could be also in 20 years from now. So I think that this is time dependent in the sense of uh, 
maybe the difference is gonna disappear in 20 years from now. Yeah. Also, since you're talking about time, I was curious what the age of the participants was, mm -hmm. and I would be curious if the results would be different at different stages in life. Yeah, so we explored that a little bit, not as far as we wanted. So we have data uh, that that is robust with undergraduates, MBA students, working adults, and executives from executive classes. What we don't have, which I think is an interesting population, is what would happen if you go to, for example, uh, teenagers. Would you see the differences there? So it seems like by the time they're in college, they emerge as they think about the job that they're gonna take after college, but they might not be there earlier than that. And I was actually a bit surprised um, to see the same results when it comes to executives. So think about um, working adults that come through executive classes, for example, at Harvard Business School. And so that, again, might suggest that maybe some of the conflicts are real, uh, but we can't quite point. Okay, so let me just show you uh, the second question of what about the percentage of goals that are actually related to power? We do see the expected difference. Um, again, interestingly enough, this, is, uh, this was an online sample collected uh, through Clear Voice, and you see that the percentage of power-related goals is actually uh, not as high overall, but it's higher for men in blue rather than uh, women. And very quickly, the second study is very similar. We just changed the number of goals up to 20 since it seems like people were enlisted as many. And then to actually address uh, the question that we heard, uh, what about people actually um, handling the writing down differently? Maybe that's the gender difference. <laughs> we had them list their favorite food types. And again, the data is very simple to address. We um, do not see a statistically significant difference, um, even if the women are a little bit higher. And when it comes to looking at uh, power, again, the percentage a little bit higher in this study, uh, higher for men, uh, more so than women. Yeah. Question. Um, they categorize themselves, so don't go. Yeah. So wouldn't this also potentially reflect um, how women and men categorize it? So uh, it's a good question. We followed up with arrays actually going through oh. their goals independently to make sure that uh, uh, this actually reflects the truth. Yeah. Sorry, I just got a question. No, no, no. Um, when you showed the list of how you organized and categorized each thing, the power definition was very for lack of a better word, aggressive in wording. It's like, I want to take control, I want to be in charge, mm -hmm. I want to be I want to be in charge of people's money and things of that nature and what they're delegated to. Is that yeah. showing that women are not as aggressive in nature and that men more are? Or <coughs> yeah, it's a very good question uh, that we did not explore. And by the way, if you actually put together power and achievement, the results are the same. So uh, that's helpful to address that comment. But more interestingly, I think to your question is, uh, maybe if you frame the, high-level power such that, for example, you're CEO of an organization because you're there to help people, and so you bring in a relational nature 
uh, that might be different. So we haven't explored that. Sorry, you said that if you um, put together power and achievement, you get the same. Yeah. You get the same results, or they are the same? Like well, you get the same difference between uh -huh. men and women. What is interesting, uh, at least to me, is that um, when you talk to both men and women about professional achievement, and we have done that in, in some studies, so we ask them, uh, you have the potential for a promotion in your career versus you have a potential for professional advancement in your career versus you have the potential for a promotion to a higher level position that gives you more power. So whether you specify it or not, it seems to be in people's heads already. So when you do those variations, it doesn't seem to make a difference. And this is relevant for the later studies. Yeah, uh, just to add to this point, uh, in our work in the city of London, where we also have done many conferences uh, mm -hmm. on, on, and, and on this subject, uh, we found that uh, often when women are faced with power positions <coughs> in the corporations, they shy away from it, while the male executives think it's their right mm -hmm. to, have, to have access to these positions. This is the mentality in here that, we, that was covered over and over again in many of our meetings in the city of London. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a matter of confidence, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, I, I don't want to point to just one explanation. I think that there are a multiplicity of explanations. These two has the same, a possible interesting one that was not explored in depth in the literature. Yeah. I'm wondering how much of this has to do with perception. So was there an element of anonymity in this? Because a lot of times they think it's what they perceive to want power as opposed to actually wanting it. So was there some element of like, this is what I must say because I don't want to Yeah, so we'll see. I don't think so, but we'll see what you think of the next uh, few studies where we ask people to uh, talk about their current position, their ideal position, and what they thought was attainable. Um, <coughs> it's an interesting possibility. So I'm going to summarize just the first part when it comes to just looking at the number of goals and the percentage of those goals that uh, are related to power. Uh, again, we see a difference in terms of the number of goals, the proportion of goals, and no matter how you ask, it doesn't matter in the sense of uh, people making their goals, as I showed you, we see the effect. When you actually give people a list of goals and ask them to select them, uh, we also see the effect. And also <coughs> when they need to reject the goals that are not important to them, you still see the effect. So this gave us confidence that this might be um, a robust finding. Now, the question that I want to address next is, <laughs> so what? what? What does this tell us about people being able to uh, potentially view differently positions of a high level? And the argument, just to remind you, is that when you're thinking about the professional advancement, you have a different sense of your positive and negative <laughs> reactions. And we thought that the positive reactions, you can see the benefit as a man or a woman, but in terms of the negative one, as a woman, you might focus on the conflict and as a result of it, be less likely to uh, be interested in achieving this position. So how did we do this? Uh, I think what would be amazing is a longitudinal study, and we thought really hard about how to get at that, and whenever we proposed it to an organization, they weren't really willing. Um, and it's difficult to actually capture in real life, but you might have some ideas of how we could do that. 
So what we did at first is uh, going to the alumni network. So we sent an email to about 1,800 MBA students from the HBS MBA program who graduated in 2013 and 2014. Uh, 635 of them participated, and basically what we asked them was simple. We uh, showed them a picture of exactly this ladder and told them that this ladder represents a, a hierarchy of professional advancement in the industry where they work. And we asked them three questions to tell us where their current position in the ladder is, what the ideal position for them is on the same ladder and what is the highest possible attainable position from their perspective. Um, and here's what we found. Again, the men are in blue, the women are in red. When it comes to current positions, we didn't find any difference from that was uh, statistically significant. When we look at the ideal position, that's where we see the expected difference such that men think of it as a position that is a little bit higher than women. Again, the means are quite, on a scale from one to 10, I'm showing you from five to 10, so people are thinking high level, so these are MBA students who graduated recently from a top school. But when it comes to the highest attainable position, interestingly enough, there is no difference. So it is as if women are saying, we can get there, we don't think is our ideal uh, state. Now, yeah, sure. So between the ideal position and the highest attainable position, are there actually any statistically significant differences within gender? Because it looks like women uh, basically, they, they judge the ideal position to be lower than the highest. That's a very interesting question. I, actually, we have a lot of studies that have uh, this flavor, and the means are different depending on the sample that you get, but um, the pattern of direction is similar, and we've never tested that. So because we can it looks yeah, like men yeah, yeah. Kind of, no, want to overachieve, whereas women, they yeah. voluntarily underachieve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting, which is uh, somewhat related, well, actually, it would be, it's somewhat related to the work on overconfidence and somewhat related to the, the, the work on how qualified you think you need to be in order for you to apply to a position. Um, and men generally apply even if they are at 90% qualification and women want to be at 150%. <laughs> yeah. I really don't understand the statistical differences because here is 24, here is 55, and here is uh, 12. So where is the line where you, you say there is statistical um, um, Yeah, it would, it would help if I added the standard deviations, which I don't, uh, and the standard errors, which I don't have here. Um, so it's the variance that you see in the data, not just the means that drives whether there is a statistical significance. So do women just need to be more cocky? I got this. Do you just need to like throw up our hands more, or is, is our element of realism, is our element of realism holding us back from achieving and taking that step forward? I don't know. Is the right answer, and I don't. That's that's where where I should say everything I'm presenting, which is very unsatisfying, especially coming from a person who 
works at Harvard Business School, they're always there saying, and here's the recommendation, and here's the action plan. I, they're descriptive. There is nothing prescriptive about this, and it's a tough one where to give recommendations on what you should be doing differently, because one could look at this data, I'm about to say something that's gonna make you really angry, and say, it's okay. Or maybe it's a matter of um, figuring out where those preferences come from, and if you have that preference because you do in fact experience conflicts when trying to do multiple things at the same time, then maybe this is okay. But if the preferences are really determined by the environment we're in, then maybe it's not okay. Um, so this you, is you might have a different answer. No, no, this, this is this is kind of squishy, and I don't know whether one would be able to measure it well. But I, I wonder if you would if you went back to these people, you know, five ten years later, uh -huh. and asked them retrospectively mm -hmm. if they had to do it over again, would they make the same choice? Would you see different levels of regret? So I think I I think I would probably think differently about. Um, you know, women selecting their ideal position as lower than what they thought they could get, mm -hmm. if after the fact they said, yeah, I think I made the right, I think I made the right choice, that if 10 years later they were saying, shoot, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I made a trade-off for social, re you know, for social reasons and I really wish I would have done something differently. And likewise, it would be similar, I mean, it would be interesting to see what you, with men. You see men yep. who put their career first and their families fell apart. I started actually because of something that a colleague of mine at LBS said. I started asking men and women who are actually uh, parents. Often I ask the question if you had 10 lives, in how many of your lives would you have children? And men usually have a number that is significantly lower than the women. Now, this is not a study, so, but from the evidence, women sometimes they say one or two, and women say no, and most of them have their children. <laughs> so I, I do think that we think about goals differently. It's difficult to say why. And I think it's uh, clearly influenced by the society that we live in, expectations that you have for yourself based on that. Now, I want to uh, give you just the last piece of data. And again, what I think it's interesting is if you're stuck on the particular levels, we have uh, studies from other samples where the levels are different. Um, so we went actually to MBAs from other schools and they're a little bit lower. I don't know what that says about um, uh, the samples that you get, but the differences between genders are always there. But the last part that I want to cover very quickly is this idea <coughs> of why is it that you might see that difference in terms of the ideal position? And our argument, based on the fact that people have a different number of goals, is that women would see more negative as compared to men, and they would still see the positive of a high-level position. So this is how we got at it. This is just one of the studies that we ran uh, with this flavor, where basically, you're asked to imagine that uh, you have the opportunity for a promotion at work to a higher <laughs> level position. And you basically have to indicate 
your expectations for experiencing a few things that are negative and a few things that are positive. And so on scales from one to seven, you're basically saying, I think that uh, if I were to get this position, I would, I would experience anxiety or stress, difficult trade-off, time constraints, burden of responsibility, conflict with other life goals. And then on the positive side, we had the happiness, job satisfaction, opportunity, money, and uh, influence. And what we ask people to do uh, is to basically express their views of what they thought uh, that high-level position would bring about. And we see in these factory directions the difference that we hypothesize. So, so when it comes to the positive, there is no difference. But when it comes to the negative, uh, women report more negative. And in particular, this idea of conflict with other life goals if you were to put your psychologist hat on and try to see if that seems to explain the reason why they look at the promotion as less desirable, uh, that's what explains it. In these studies, we also asked them um, to what extent they thought the position was attainable and to what extent it was desirable. And we see the difference on desirability but not on attainability. Which I think is important because again, they it is as if women are saying, if I put effort into this, I'm gonna get there. It's just I don't think it's as desirable because I see these negative aspects coming out of it. Um, and so as a result of it, they would at least report that they would be less likely to accept the promotion. Now, what is interesting about uh, the particular of this study, so study four, um, is that again, the positive are quite high for both the genders, but then somehow the negatives are higher for women than for men when it comes to their uh, reactions. And <coughs> in terms of um, attainability and desirability, again, for desirability, um, you see that uh, there is a difference um, yeah, I'm missing attainability where you don't see the difference between actually men and women. But if you were to, again, put your head on as a psychology, uh, we have this methods of looking at mediation analysis and what seems to drive the difference in um, this desirability is the way you weigh the positive and the negative and the fact that the negative are in expectations higher for uh, women than for men leads them to think of it as uh, a less desirable position. Now, what is interesting from my perspective is, as I said, that we went to executives, uh, so people coming to do executive education at Harvard, and we see the same effect. We see the same effect on undergraduates at two different schools, and we see the effect on working uh, adults. So suggesting that maybe age might not be as important, but again, we haven't been going to younger groups or very, very old adults and asked them to think back, and I think the question of regret is an interesting one. Now, I wanna come to this important point which I think is very unsatisfying. <coughs> but it's the idea of everything I presented is really descriptive, not prescriptive. And there are all sorts of possible 
interesting additional studies to run or things to understand. So even in just the expectations of the positive and negative, there are all sorts of possibilities. One is, well, as it turns out, women, women are right. You get to do uh, trade-offs and experience conflict when it comes to being at a high-level positions, and it's really the men who are underestimating uh, the potential downsides uh, of it. Um, it's also possible that women are actually overestimating those costs, and that there are all sorts of ways to maybe even um, not experience them as much once you're in the high-level positions because of the way you <coughs> get organized or you get help. Um, we also leave out of the picture an important outcome, which is if you think about um, your own level of happiness. So as you saw in the expectations, the positives are much higher than the negative, and so maybe in balance, when both genders are in the role, the happiness <laughs> takes care of the potential negative reactions to the high-level positions. So these are all sorts of questions that we just haven't answered with this question and with this research so far. Um, I, I think it's an interesting um, direction to potentially explore. You could imagine that, again, social desirability might play in a role uh, if you go to groups of people who are in these high-level positions, or maybe you could make the arguments that if you, in fact, get through your professional advancement, your career as a woman, somehow you are now thinking differently about the very things that might hold uh, different genders back as they think through it in expectations. I guess I was thinking about some, uh, some other reasons that mm -hmm. might explain these results. So um, speaking from introspection now, <laughs> <laughs> um, from in, in my own life, I can say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working full time, uh -huh. I'm still working full time, that I seem to experience much more anxiety over things like I'm gonna be out of town and the kids are gonna be home with one parent than my husband feels. So the same consequence of a trade-off, uh, for me, I would be more focused on the, the trade-offs because for me, I would experience them more negatively than my husband would. So the question is, am I, um, you know, is that, is that something about my own anxiety, right? Or, or is, that, is that kind of biologically hardwired? Or is that just, is that right. me overreacting? Or, um, or is it that, uh, or another one might be that there are, you know, if you look at the data, uh, even in married couple, both working families, uh, women are doing more housework than men. So if that's the case, there is a bigger trade-off, right? If yeah. I'm if I'm now working more, uh, I was doing more of this other thing that's valuable to the family, and there is a trade-off. It's less of a trade-off for my husband because mm -hmm. he was doing less at home in the first place. He's not here to defend himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it goes back to my my own experience. So again, I'm. Uh, I, I can only say positive things about my husband. What we're thinking about it. I, I, I think you experience it differently. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that you find the same results with the undergraduates That's right. who 
you know, they're not, I'm, I'm guessing if these are Harvard undergraduates, uh -huh. they're mostly not married. Uh, and so all, all of these issues that might actually come into play once you get married and, and have children yep. aren't relevant for them today. So are they correctly anticipating That's right. what, what things are going to be like? Uh -huh. Or is it some you know, innate difference in just how men and women see the world? Yeah, so it's interesting because when we, at first we went to the executives, and uh, my reasoning, <coughs> our reasoning as a, as a team was, well, if you can executives, and these are people in high level positions, maybe not the very top, but, but they're up there. If even the executives have these reactions in terms of positive and negative that they see in the position, it might be that they also experience it. And so maybe that might be more of the explanation. But then we went to the undergraduates, and so there it's an expectation. And so does the society play a role in the way you think about the fact that you're gonna be caring more uh, of, of the share? And it's likely both. Yeah. So um, this is a variant of your question, but in a different direction. So the idea here is that the same job, it, that, that both men and women are responding to the same job, mm -hmm. or the same opportunity. But it's not clear that that's really the case, because we know that executives, male and female, are compensated at different rates. We know there are different consequences to a female executive having a coach as compared to a male executive. It's looked at as a remedial effort for a woman, but it's an enhancement and an optimization for a man. So I guess one of the questions I have here is, you know, what's built in, the judgment that these are really the same positions, um, I think might be something to, to question. Yeah, so this study where we had them look at their own industry and sort of say, please yourself, we were trying to avoid <coughs> those issues altogether, but it's an important one. Now we're doing, with a different set of colleagues, I'm doing some follow-up research, trying to understand whether across the industries, you can sort of um, look at jobs or even industries themselves that are more <laughs> women uh, related versus men related, or at least in the way people expect them to be, and whether somehow the preferences in the way we think of, of them are actually different. And, and I don't know. I think it's an important question. Yeah, just a comment. Uh, based on these findings, and as we're aware, we, we are faced with male-dominated boards across many industries and many mm -hmm. sectors. Wouldn't that perpetuate an increase, actually, enhance the anxiety level that you cover in your study? Yeah, so, um, as I said, that's why that's why some people look at this and they're like, "Why did you publish this paper? You're not being helpful." Um, it's um, again, I'm not taking any stand other than um, other than looking at people like the person who was talking to the female executives that I talked about and saying, it's okay for you to have that reaction. Mm. Uh, because my follow-up questions when I talked to the executive was like, well, what kind of life do you have? And she was like, well, I do have a life where I travel a lot, 
where I might not see my children as much as one would hope. And so it's like the, some of the trade-offs are real. Again, both men and women make them, but somehow they seem to be experiencing them differently. And so I think that the only thing that I can say is um, I wish for a world that adds more equity. I'm in total favor of uh, the writings on um, uh, figuring ways in which even at home uh, <coughs> women are helped more, but it, it's, it's also given, let me say it this way, maybe it's not politically correct, give women the license of making the choices that they want to make if they think that that optimizes on their happiness. Again, I'm going from personal experience. When I, um, in my own department, can view it. I don't really think it's a high-level position, uh, but it's. Um, uh, I was the next one in line to take on being the chair of the unit, which is wonderful. <laughs> it comes with power, but we could debate that. Um, but it came at a time where I would have a second very young child, and I looked at the situation and I said, I don't think I can do this. So in a way that makes me optimizes on my happiness. And I said, in the future, sure, but not now. And so I was thinking about this research, and I said, I think it's okay, and feeling good about the choices that we're making. So, but I'm not taking a stand um, because this is just descriptive, and it can be explained both by an internal difference as well as social cultural factors. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, this is super interesting. Really enjoyed your talk. Um, and my question is, um, I think kind of getting at a lot of what the what you talked about, the known experiences and other speakers have talked about as well. Um, in terms of, can you tell us um, anything about how much of the mechanism is driven by motherhood? So I know, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of your studies were undergraduates, but I think even younger than undergrads, girls these days are already thinking about how can I combine a career with family and my undergrads. So we looked at whether having children moderates the effect, and we didn't see um, evidence for that. It's not the thing that we were looking for, so maybe we need to sample differently to make sure that we have an equal number of people who are not married versus people who are married. Uh, it's an interesting question. It is also interesting to try to go back and survey teenagers or people who are in high school and see if the expectations are already there, uh, because it's difficult to make an argument that they feel it as a problem that is close to them at that point. And it'd be interesting to see if the differences disappear. Now I was thinking about sort of how to think about this first point. Mm -hmm. So uh, thinking from our own research, we find, have found that there's a dramatic increase in divorces for women that are promoted to top mm -hmm. positions but there's no effect for men whatsoever. So in some sense, could these different sort of costs be related to either 
that you actually view the cost of divorce differently, or is it that women actually <laughs> face another consequence of divorce? Have you tried to separate that out in these interviews? We have not. It's actually, I'm sort of smiling because I always uh, think that in, this is again outside of, I'm speaking outside of data. I, I have, this is not a current project or anything, but I, um, I come from a family in Italy where my mom decided to stay home with three children, even if she had a degree and sort of a, a career in front of her. Uh, and so I think it was a traditional family where the work of the children is sort of with the mom and then with the father. And I have, instead, a different type of marriage where both are actually working. And sometimes I feel like the type of discussions or conflict that you have is higher in the second type rather than the first one because the rules are all mixed up. Like everybody's doing everything. <laughs> when it comes to children, you're always discussing because you're both doing it versus you have the role divided. So I wonder whether that affects uh, your uh, research in the sense of when it comes to women having high level position, you're gonna be in a situations where likely, it's likely I would assume that the, the other side is also working and so within the couple you experience more conflict because you do the share of the work at home together and you don't see the level of conflict in the other case where it's the man getting promoted because it's more likely I would say that women, that the, the, the spouse is staying home with fewer job responsibilities. But again, it's a little theory not, <laughs> not tested or um, it's interesting. All right. Socioeconomic cues and how uh, elite men and non-elite women were preferred over non-elite men and elite women. And the, 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 the explanation for why employers didn't want elite women is because they were a flight risk. So I, I guess non-elite women who got into elite schools had done that because they wanted to have that job. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So we don't have data on that in many of our samples. Um, we did collect, so as you saw, some of the samples come from Harvard undergrads, Harvard exec ed students, Harvard MBAs, but we also have data from panels from um, working adults in the United States as well as MTurk, where maybe no, what, it's what clearly different, but but not within the same sample. We can't explore that because we don't know. Uh, all right, so like it'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Like the bottom ten percent of women, mm -hmm. HBS or mm -hmm. higher performing, the top ninety. Yeah, and now that is enough of a difference, I think, in terms of the people who get admitted, that we could explore it. Uh, that. Um, in my own personal experience, I just recently got offered a promotion at not job or anything, but it was you know, nice. And I turned it down because I personally felt that I wasn't ready. I'd only been at that first position for a month. I needed to learn more of the ropes. And I looked at the colleague next to me, who was you know a male that was running against me. He has back issues. He couldn't have done half of the work. And he's like, yeah, I got it. I'm still running. And I was just like, what are you, like, logically, what are you doing? But I realized I had stopped myself. So how much of it is really the glass ceiling that's enforcing down on women? And how much is it really of our own that's saying, no, I'm going to not I, because I looked at that position when they offered me, I was like, you guys are stupid, I haven't, I haven't been here long enough. 
I don't know the ropes, I don't know the rules or the details, and I can't supervise this team the way you want to. But then they're also offering the position to a guy who's like, oh, I can't carry anything more than 25 pounds, I've got a back problem. Yeah, so it's, I think it's related to these um, questions over here in the sense that it could be you underestimating him, overestimating his ability to actually do a good job in, in, um, in the role. It could be both. Okay. Uh, and we just don't know. I actually don't know if I have great ways to get at it. Like some, so I think retrospectively is a good idea, but then you also get at another dimension of uh, you're now thinking about the past and you don't have the counterfactual. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm really interested in what the most senior women, you know, and powerful women in leadership positions would, would think about this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm thinking about very powerful, visible women, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elizabeth Warren, um, Oprah Winfrey, you know, mm -hmm. and whether in fact um, the, this, this concept of negative consequences, you know, what their, their view would be on this, but, you know, generally on the survey, right, when they look at the life goals, I'm also thinking about Rosabeth Moss Kenner's advanced leadership program. That yeah. might be a cohort to to ask. And the other the other thing that comes to mind is the corporate timelines, and you know the timelines for promotion, right? Which were basically built for men's careers. So that you know what you're saying is when you get into that position and you think I'm going to have a very young child. It's like those conflicts did not used to arrive, but but our institutions have kind of you know got them hardwired now. So that if you're going to be a fast tracker, you're going to do it during that period when you know everything else is happening in your life, and whether that has some impact, you know. So while your survey is of the individuals, right, who who would be looking at those positions, you know, when you look at it from the other end, from the institutional end, um, whether there's a way in which you can somehow change the institution so that they, they you know, so that they can really deal with the fact that doing everything right is a challenge, whether, mm -hmm. you know, man or woman. And for women, you know, traditionally this has been, it's been ours. We've been, we've been the ones, we were the ones who kind of fought our way in, <laughs> you know? So yeah, so it's a, they think it, these are, um, it gets tricky, right? Because there are things where you can't, but some biological differences are there, and I'm not entirely sure we're ever gonna be in a world where it's the man who carries the child rather than the woman, so, and some of them are real. So I think that part of the conflict might be related to that, but again, I don't wanna shy away from saying there are also expectations that you have because of the society and the culture that we live in or the institution you live in that matter. Um, I, I think that they certainly contribute to it. I think again about this ideal job that you mentioned in one of the studies. And I wonder if that could be unpacked more to learn more about what an ideal job is or an ideal position by gender. Mm -hmm. Because I wonder in, 
in some circumstances that the decision that you make about going for that job, that higher level job, might be uh, mediated if you had excellent child care for certain, mm -hmm. or if you had, um, uh, you know, no meetings after 3.20 p.m. in the afternoon for certain, you know, a set of things like that where the, you weren't actually making the trade-off, that you were, the, the ideal job was prescribed to include those things that would um, enable you to thrive in that domain. Because it w I'm sure it would be different for men as compared to women, but it would be interesting if those assure. I mean, it's a thought experiment, right? Mm -hmm. if, if if those possibilities were just given. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. I mean, sort of answer what you, what you were asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, two things about uh, social desirability. Um, for example, just yesterday I was hearing some friends at the Kennedy School saying that they wouldn't date a woman who earned more than them. So. <laughs> That's like pretty common in our society. And uh, the other thing is that what you say, like maybe, okay, women are maximized, but maximizing, but under what kind of conditions? If these are conditions of gender inequality, um, I don't think like in the wrong, in the long run is something good. And maybe we could see like in other societies, like, I don't know, Ireland or, or countries like that, or, um, the chairs are divided more equal, equally if the payoffs are the same or, or are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, if you if you look at this research, it, it, it's uh, in a sense very disconnected from the one that said, well, if you look at the same position, uh, you might see differences in pay, and I would say the differences shouldn't be there. It's just it's looking at the slightly different question. So I think when we talk about equality, we should also asking in terms of what and if it's paid for the same position I would have a strong uh, a very strong stance on this one I am left <laughs> without seeing anything um, did you have a question yeah so my thought on this uh, research is uh, my concern is really about the expectation about the positive and negative consequences. Mm -hmm. I'm confused that this term are really, really subjective. And what what I mean is that even if these two options that you mentioned here, like maybe overestimating or underestimating, even if, even if there's no overestimating or underestimating, uh, even there is difference between the negative and the positive consequences, my question is like, where does that differences coming from? Is this resulting from the social or, you know, the how the how the position was designed? Like what makes a positions are uh, more negative, uh, more positive to men or less negative than women is that part of the mm -hmm. social economy design that position? So I think we just actually heard yeah. an idea of a study that would help us get at that, which is rather than having them imagine the positions that we sort of did, so we left it very general. It's like high-level positions of women in power. We describe it. <laughs> so it's like you're working from nine to three, and so, so that you sort of remove the possibility of experiencing the trade-off. My point is, and going beyond that, I think that even when you design, when you design your idea job, that idea job coming from your very deep sort of like perception that you're stealing from your childhood, like you are the girl, 
so your ideal job like sort of like this. Like this. So I, I really, I really align with the one of the question is like how much this is coming from the mother, mm -hmm. which means I want to separate the total like social economic impact, which I think is really really big, even coming to the subjective matter like this, to the very uh, like deep down gender like how much the the mother loves the children more than men, rather than you know this also society frame the perception. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go deep down to that. Yeah. Like how much does this differences of uh, overestimating coming from that socioeconomic? And again, if you were to put me on, my, you said my hand on fire right now, I would I say see, I see. Yeah, I know it's different questions. And so that even your study may have to come back much earlier, like when you was the children which has born infant and moving up from that in this latter society. Yeah. And it's very <laughs> difficult to disentangle, right? Because yeah. if, again, if I think about, like, again, I'm going back my personal experience. When I was thinking about the job, the, being the chair, I asked what the job actually entails. And so one of the things that it entails is Every other week, when you have a seminar speaker, you're out to dinner with the speaker, and dinner is at five thirty. Which is, if you're a parent, a very convenient time. And so it's like it's a. So some of it is what the job entails <coughs> and what the expectations people have for it. Um, it, but it's both in a sense real as well as driven by society. I think it's both. I see. And but one, I'm saying this with no data. Yeah. <laughs> one follow-up question. Is, <laughs> just to clarify. I, think, uh, I just one follow-up question is like, so how does that? Uh, how does this like different perspective uh, uh, impact the you know the outcome? Like, the, do we have the difference in, in the in percentage? Like only five percent, eleven percent of higher ranking as a woman. How much this like uh, different? So that, that's definitely a very important question, a tough one to answer. No, it would be great to actually say how much of the variance in these differences at the top is explained by yes. demand side factor, supply side factor, your additional explanation. Um, try some of the studies, but again, I'm going to go back to the great suggestions where we describe the job to the person and basically constraining the expectations that they have for a high-level position. From the studies that we have done, when you tell people about, I think there is an expectation that the more you go through professional advancement, 
the more you're gonna have constraints on your time, the likely it is that you might travel, um, and it doesn't seem as if, it seems as if time becomes the scarce resource, so this seems to be a common expectation. Again, for a lot of jobs, I don't think that's wrong, uh, in the sense that there is a good reason for why people have that in expectations. But if we were to construct the jobs differently, with the preference and variation, I think that's a fascinating question. Are we talking about 50 hours here, or is the jobs that grow up to 70? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting and fascinating question. Yeah. Uh, do you have a paper, a 2014 paper of Cassiara about feeling dirty when you network and differential? Uh -huh. So uh, have you thought of linking those two papers about differential access to, to social resources? So that's maybe one of the ways that you can move it forward in terms of um, the structural support that could be provided differently, because you make the point in that paper that uh -huh. the groups that most need access to resources, to social resources, to network are the ones that least have it. But then it leads to them feeling dirty when they network, so that their experience of power may be more negative. Yeah. Get back to that point. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It is. Um, uh, it would help also unpack this idea of that we talked about whether when you experience, in fact, the conflict or the anxiety. Um, like again, I. This is from personal experience. I'm a person who's never. I. I traveled overseas when my daughter was two and a half months old. So like you can do it and I had great support. I brought my mom you know, <laughs> here to help out. But it's like, it's, I still experience the conflict, the, the okay. thing. And so the question is that, is that widespread? And so people still have the experience of conflict even when they have the support? Is there a way to remove that? But you were able to import a structural resource which is your mother, yeah. and maybe there's differential access to that even within women. And I think that what's an interesting piece is that you didn't you didn't look at women who are momentarily out of the workforce or mm -hmm. coming back into the workforce. And so I think you'd have that would be a very interesting to add to your teenage. Yeah. Um, also, there's a paper by Damask and Fresh that looks to that point that you were looking at with teenagers about mm -hmm. pathways early on from about kind of five six. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Um, again, if you're experiencing any anger at the moment, I want to remind <laughs> you that it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, and I'm sorry for not having more answers. I think this is the one paper where I feel like there are amazing questions to be asked uh, and very little answered. In the uh, way of just mentioning one of the things that um, I'm working on that is probably related to this, we love to see, is actually looking at how men and women think about the future. And we have a few different studies on a few different populations showing that uh, when you ask men and women to think about the future, somehow women are thinking longer term than men. So long term thinking for women is like years of math from now and for men is months. <laughs> and it's kind of an interesting difference and we are trying to explore what that complication that has. Um, let me just say that I, I love the question that you asked. If you have more, uh, feel free to reach out to me and also if you have criticisms of the work or whether you want to make sure that I cover it up and don't talk to you <laughs> about it, feel free to reach out. Always happy to get uh, the feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks everyone for being here. Next week we have our WEP fellow, Anna Rauti. She's going to be discussing can financial incentives reduce the baby gap, evidence from a reform in maternity leave benefits.